Chapter 31. Ultimatum. Blue hadn't realized how much he depended on Tumble's company until he didn't have it anymore. In the days that followed the attack of the rebellion, he was alone with his thoughts. He agonized over words. Word he'd said to Tumble. Words Howard had said to him. Words his dad had never said. When your dad races, it's everyone else who gets tackled by the deer. Why hadn't Blue ever wondered? People died in car crashes. One night he couldn't stand it anymore. A few hours before dawn, he put on his running shoes, tucked his cell phone into the back pocket of his shorts, and crept downstairs. He slipped past Cousin Ernestine, who was sleeping on the sofa with her mouth hanging wide open, and headed for the front door. Blue ran through the darkness, harder and faster and further than he had ever before. The sky was blacker than it had been on the first night he had arrived in Berkey Branch. He had trouble seeing the ground in front of him, but he didn't fall. He ran past the sign, not looking at the number on it, reaching into his pocket automatically to stop his cell phone's timer. He ran to the paved road. He ran as fast as he could, away from Murky Branch, toward the end. He had to pause several times to breathe, and once he had to duck out of sight before a passing car could spot him. But Blue made it. He crossed over whatever invisible line separated Murky Branch from the rest of the world. He stopped and looked around at the empty road, the tall pines, the metal mile marker standing like a sentinel not far away. Not one would be eavesdropping out on him out here. Blue found a place to sit on the side of the road with his back resting against the rough bark of a pine tree. The ground beneath him was cushioned with fallen pine straw, and the muggy night air was cool against his overheated skin. His legs were shaky, his hands were too, but that was different. Blue pulled out his phone. The stop timer was the first thing he saw when the screen lit. Thirteen minutes, nine seconds. It was his best time yet. He didn't know if that mattered anymore. He dialed the number slowly. He wouldn't leave a message this time. His questions were too big for messages. Blue was going to make the phone ring and ring and ring until his dad had no choice but to pick it up. And when he did, Blue would be calm. He wouldn't accuse his dad of anything. He wouldn't whine. He would just ask. It took four calls. Hi there, Skeeter his dad said in a tired voice. Everything okay down there? When you win, do other people get hurt? The silence was a chasm between us. Blue waited and waited. Finally, he said, I want you to come back to Murky Branch. Come and stay here with me. Did your granny tell you that? His dad asked, voice tight. You need to come back. His dad inhaled sharply. Now listen here, Blue. What I do for my job is my own business, and your granny is overreacting if she's filling your head with that mess. People get hurt all the time. Not every little thing is our fault. Blue was on his feet. He didn't remember standing up. Why can't you have some other job? Why do you have to win? I just said that's not for you to worry about. I'll pick you up at the end of the summer, just like I promised. Isn't that what you want? Blue squeezed his eyes shut. No. What? No. The word felt awful in his mouth, and true. I don't want you to pick me up at the end of the summer. I want you to come back right now. I want you to quit racing, and I want you to stay here with me, and I want you never to win again. Well, Skeeter, that's not the plan, his dad said flippantly. You don't understand. He doesn't think I'm serious. I understand better than you ever will, Blue shouted. You don't have to compete. You just like it, and it's not fair to anyone else. And you know you're doing something wrong, and that's why you left me here, isn't it? That's not... It's not true. For the first time, his dad sounded uncertain. I gave you some bad advice about that boy at school. I know that. I didn't mean for you to be hurt. Once I have my next steps all figured out, I'll come back for you. It'll be like before. That was when Blue knew. His dad didn't get it. Maybe he didn't want to get it. He wanted this to be about a fist fight and a broken arm. 
That wasn't what it was about at all. It can't be like before, Blue tried to explain. You can't be a racer. You can't keep making other people lose. Now that Blue knew, he wouldn't be able to stand it. Well, what can I be if you're making all the rules? He was mad. Of course he was mad. Blue leaned against the tree for support. You can be my dad, he said. You can be someone who does the right thing. I don't know where the heck you're getting this idea that I'm some horrible person. You don't know what it's like, said Blue. You don't know what it's like to lose. This conversation is over, his dad said. Don't call again unless you feel like apologizing. I'll be back for you at the end of the summer. We'll talk about it then. Blue took a deep breath. If you're not going to give up racing and come for me right now, he said, then I think you, should, you shouldn't bother coming back at all. Chapter 32. No place for winners. It was over. It was done. Blue's dad wasn't going to change for him, and he wasn't going to come for him. When he finally passed the murky branch sign again, Blue didn't remind it that he wasn't planning on staying. He just thought of his 13 minutes and his 9 seconds and wondered how the walk back to his grandmother's house could feel so much longer. You shouldn't bother coming back at all, he'd said. He couldn't believe he'd said that. He couldn't believe he'd meant it. He saw the Wilson's RV as he stumbled past their house, and he wanted with an aching kind of want to go up to the door and knock. He knew Tumble would be in there. But he told her to go away. Blue watched his bar borrowed shoes fall one in front of the other all the way back to the Montgomery house. He had to do something to fight back against this horrible shredding inside of him. He needed someone to talk to, or someone to break. Something to break, sorry. But when he made it to the house, nobody was awake, and nothing in this place was his to break. The only thing he could do was escape to his attic, because it was his now, and maybe... He tried to stop the thought, but couldn't. Not this time. Maybe this had always been permanent, and he hadn't been able to let himself realize it. He reached up to pull the chain on the light and looked around. There was nothing in here that was his own except for his clothes. Not the air mattress, not the poster, and not, not ever, the boxes. He went to the nearest one and opened it. Gold gleamed up at him from the pointed tip of a trophy with a ballerina on top. Blue bent to pick it up. He tried to read the name at the bottom, but it was in elegant cursive, and he wasn't seeing right. Something was blurring his vision. It doesn't matter, Blue thought. No one cares about the ballerina. They left her in the attic. He shoved the box closer to the window. The trophies inside, all of those forgotten victories, rattled and clanked as if they knew what Blue was going to do. He fumbled with the latch on the window and forced it open. Granny Eve's huge garden was below him in the half-light of approaching dawn. Blue looked down. Some of us don't get to stand in spotlights on stages, he thought, gripping the ballerina so that the edges of her plastic tutu cut into his fingers. Some of us don't get anything but dirt. He threw her arm, sorry, he threw her away from him as fast as he could. She twinkled as she plunged toward the ground, but Blue didn't see. He was already bending over, ripping at the nearest, nearest box. Medals and ribbons, trophies and tiaras. He didn't care what or whose or why. He would get rid of all of them now. The attic was his now, and it wasn't a place for winners. <laughs>